I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. This is Dave, your host. I'm here with a friend and someone who is literally changing the world, a gentleman named Chris Marlowe. I uh, just came back from having been on a trip to the Dominican Republic with Chris and his organization, Help One Now, this past week. And I thought, what better time than the present to introduce you to and give you a little deeper look into the work that he's doing after so many people were asking questions about what this trip was and who this organization is and what is it the work that they're doing. Now, Chris met a starving young child living in an abandoned gas station in Zimbabwe back in 2007. And that encounter in Zimbabwe ended up compelling him to start this work that he does now called Help One Now. He and his wife, his team, they dedicate their life to seeking justice by empowering leaders and organizing a wide table of people to do good together on the ground in what currently ends up being eight countries around the world where generational poverty has been a part of the story that they're looking to rewrite. Uh, he's also the author of a book called Doing Good is Simple, and he lives in Nashville, Tennessee. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Chris Marlowe to the show. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis. And I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. Dave, hello, 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 everyone. So fun and so good to be with you all today. I can't wait to have this conversation about how we can all make the world a little better. So, you know, the, the name of this podcast is Rise Together. And I think, you know, the work that you are doing in so many ways is about bringing people together, organizing around local leadership to help solve the needs of the people who live inside of these different countries that you do the work. But before we get into the story of your current story, I gave a little bit of an introduction, but could you give us just a little bit of who is Chris Marlowe? How do you find yourself now with this calling, this purpose in life? And kind of where'd you come from before you came to where you are now? Absolutely. Thank you, Dave. So I tell you what, it's, it's a very interesting story. I was living in Austin, Texas, and I was living 
like my best life, right? When I was in Austin, I had just an amazing, my family was great. My friends were great. The tacos were great. I mean, it was just such a great time. And I was actually planting a church in North Austin and doing real estate as well in the city of Austin. And I call it the, the magic years of Austin, 2007, 2004, 2005, 2006, all just really amazing years in Austin. Yeah, one of the things I think I've realized, Dave, is we all want to find our calling. But the problem with that is sometimes we want to stay in our comfort zones while we find our calling. And it's, you can't do that, right? Like actually define yourself, define your calling. You have to move out of your comfort zones. Um, and I think that's my big encouragement to anyone is like when we move out of our comfort zones, it's typically where we find our best selves. And so for me, that comfort zone um, that I didn't want to move out of was taking a trip with a friend of mine who had moved from the States to Cape Town, South Africa. And so I took this trip, long, long story short, I wrote about it. I talk about it. I've told the story so many times. But at 4 a.m. in the morning, we crossed the border from South Africa into Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe at the time was on the verge of a civil war. I mean, it was rough. Inflation was wild. It wasn't a happy place. But what you realize when you talk about countries that, you know, we would call developing countries, for the most part, the, the people are so amazing. The everyday normal people who are trying to navigate the complexities of extreme poverty because of disease or war or natural disasters, it's the, it's the humans behind the story. It's not about the organization. It's not about a fancy mission statement. It's these real life people who are living in extreme poverty and who are trying to lift their own communities out of extreme poverty. So long story short, I met a starving kid at a gas station. And that was just an aha moment for me. Like I knew right then and there that there was a vocational shift and that I kind of took my corporate background, my church background, put them together and started an organization called Help One Now in the best of times in 2008 in Austin, Texas, because the financial markets were amazing back then, Dave, right? Of course. No better time to start something than 2008. <laughs> oh, man. it was I, was I I looked at my dog one night. I'm like, you're no longer getting treats. We have to like save budget, and we got to start this org. I mean, it was wild, right? But here's what's crazy. At the end of the day, there's so much complexities in our world like that we're facing today. But what I've realized again and again is, for the most part, most of us agree on the same basic principles of life. We want to live a good life. We want to have an education, food. We want to enjoy life. And for all the things that we disagree about, we actually agree on the core tenets of life. And when I was in Zimbabwe, that's one of the things I recognized. These were really beautiful humans. After um, that experience and that trip, I came back and I spent a year doing a research program and I traveled the world and I began to research extreme poverty. And one of the things, Dave, that really frustrated me is I would show up to communities where folks like myself were leading. So I would be, I remember being in downtown Cairo, you know, in the middle of Zimbabwe, inside all these different places. And I would always show up seeing a white male leading. And it threw me off, if I had to be honest. I couldn't understand. I think this is my background growing up in Northern California. Like we would never let an outsider come into our community and lead us. It would have to be an insider who was going to lead the way. And when I met John and Orpa, our two local partners, just like when you met Rod um, and Twyla last week, you recognize these are really sharp, really brilliant, brilliant, really talented folks. And they care about their community far more than I'm ever going to care about their community. And so I just began to ask the question, what if we could start an organization where Folks like us from the U.S. could create these beautiful friendships 
but at the same time stay invisible. So the local church, the local leader would be the hero and the center of the story. And we could kind of be in the shadows doing what we could to advance their mission, to transform their community. So good. What was, I think, so amazing. So our experience in the Dominican Republic, I was going more than anything to just be witness to the way that you, as the silent partner, are keeping your finger on the pulse of the things that Rod, as the local leader who for 26 years has been immersed inside of this community north of Santo Domingo, letting you and, and other agencies that come in as partners as well know these are the things that are most pressing as needs for the community of people that I am immersed inside of and have been part of for the last two and a half decades. And what's, yep. what, what I think I was blown away by most was he had a sense of where to go vision-wise because of <laughs> the way he was listening, but also the leadership that he'd assembled of other people that had been inside of the community for, you know, usually from birth that were also casting a vision for how they could solve the things that it were pressing in real time, but also might solve something to change the narrative of what the future or or, or hoping for a future might look like for someone on the ground. Yeah, no, David, it's totally true. And I think there's, there's two things that we, that we found out one, you know, you can't see transformation without dignity. You can write the biggest checks, you could build the biggest buildings, you could do all kinds of things that look or feel impressive, but at the end of the day, you're doing more harm than good. And that's one of the great challenges. As, as an outsider, when I saw extreme poverty, my heart was broken and I wanted to help. But there's a good way to help and there's a bad way to help. And so what we've done, and we've made so many mistakes, so we are not the perfect example but what we did do is we've listened and we've listened and we listened and we recognize like they want to do the work. When I mean they, the communities that are suffering from extreme poverty, they want to lift themselves out of poverty. But what they need more than anything is they need friendship and they need support because they're they're basically living in infrastructures where there's no access. I and mean, most of these countries don't have a tax structure. They don't have stability. That Really, these countries are very young countries and they're trying to figure out their future from all kinds of you know historical issues that they've had to face. And, 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 and what you recognize is there are some folks who are like leading so powerfully under the surface. And when folks like you and me can come behind them and build friendships and help support them, um, they can do all kinds of beautiful things, create all kinds of impact. And we just saw that in the Dominican with Rod. And what I love about Rod or any of our local partners, they're not waiting for us to show up to do the work. They're doing the work. And when we show up, we just we just spark it, we throw some fire on it, and we just like we really give them hope and they can keep they can just speed up the impact that they're gonna make with or without us. I know we've talked about uh, a little bit on the trip, uh, Steve Corbett's book, When Helping Hurts, but you know, yeah. you're, you're trying to do everything you can to make sure that your help helps. What are some of, in the observations you've had over the years, what are some of the ways that helping has hurt a local community because of not yeah. thinking about it in the right kind of way? There are two things. One, we don't listen well and we want to control outcomes. From an American's perspective, we're very data-driven and helping now is a data-driven org. But, but sometimes we lead with data, or we, and so we want to control the outcomes. And so here's, here's, here's how I learned that story the hard way. I was in South Africa on the border of Zimbabwe right before I met the starving kids, six hours before. I'm leaning on an orphanage, and I noticed multiple colors. So I asked the local partner there. Um, his name was Willie. And I said, Willie, you know, why are there so many colors on this, 
on this um, on this orphanage that they had. And he basically said, well, every year we have like teenagers from America, they come down and we just have them repaint the orphanage because we don't really know what to do with them. And it was just a moment where I remembered and I was talking to my friend and basically like, you know, it cost 50 to $75,000 to send 12 to 14 people to South Africa. And the impact they're having is they're repainting a kid's home every year. And so they're putting more pressure on the local community. Now, here's what's amazing. There's all kinds of folks who will, you know, they'll be chasing the wrong things that you're doing or they'll say we shouldn't travel. I don't believe that at all. Matter of fact, the most powerful thing we can do when we travel is create friendships. And when you create friendships, you recognize the power of dignity. And when you recognize dignity, then friendship and dignity equals longevity. So the people we partner with, we plan to be there for a long time, but we're creating sustainable work where it's not, they don't have to rely on us. And so my encouragement to everyone is, I mean, I talk about this in the book a little bit, like find the one or two things that you're passionate about and and go long-term into those scenarios, because that's really where you get to see the impact. A lot of the challenges we have is we kind of have like the passport traveler where we really, you know, like we want to explore the world. We want to go do all kinds of things. We want to get our Instagram shot in there to make sure everyone knows we're exploring the world. But at the end of the day, sometimes we're actually hurting those who are suffering from extreme poverty because we're just popping in and we're popping out. So what if we were the people who would pop in again and again and again? And then we actually get to build these powerful friendships. And friendship is really what can change the world more than writing a big check, you know, more than a campaign here or there. It's the friendship. And so I would assume, Dave, you spend in time um, not building a house or not painting. You spend in a time, 80% of our time in the Dominican last week was you listening to Rod and his team. And that's what we did. We listened. We had fun. We created friendships. We were dreaming together. and. My assumption would be that would be much deeper than if you and Heidi and and our team had just went and we painted something and we left and that was the end of the story. Yeah. Well, one of the things, too, that I loved, that there was an opportunity to be introduced to some of the people who were the beneficiaries of the empowerment program that's a part of the work that Rod's doing on the ground in that finding ways to encourage entrepreneurship inside of the community so that the community can become self-sustaining and build skills, but that can do it with some support around business modeling and the kind of infrastructure that maybe in the short term gives them that training wheels moment until their business ends up taking off. Talk a little bit about how the empowerment program and entrepreneurship ends up being a part of the mission, not just in the Dominican, but in the countries you're in around the world. Yeah, absolutely. So the first five years, we were what we would, we, we would be considered a child-focused organization. And so, you know, we were rescuing kids from trafficking, which was brutal and heartbreaking and beautiful and just, you know, and then kids who were being orphaned. And there came a moment where our local partner in Ethiopia were sitting around a fire. We had just spent that morning with a whole bunch of kids who were orphaned. And one of the things I realized, and it took me a while, but like most kids who are orphaned have loving parents. And the most important decision these parents had to make was if their kids were going to live, they needed to drop them off at an orphanage, which then creates all kinds of shame and hurt and pain. And so, and then these parents disappear. That night, I began to ask our local partner there, Shiloh, I'm like, you know, Shiloh, we have, we can't be a child-focused org. And he simply says this, he goes, well, we shouldn't be a child-focused org. Um, And I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? Because really everything Helping Now does is led by a local partner. So we're not like it's not our vision that we're making them do in order to get a check. 
And he goes, well, we need to be a family focused org. I'm like, well, let's talk to me about what that means. He goes, if we put, if we can keep families together, then we no longer have to build orphanages. I go, well, why are we not doing that? And he goes, well, it's not as easy to raise money. So most nonprofits don't want to do that because it's so much easier to put a, a child on the cover of a fundraising piece mm. and for people to have a heart moment and to write a check. And I was like, well, we're a small org and we want to listen and we want to learn. We'll do whatever it takes. He goes, okay, let's start the family empowerment program. And, and so that was the initial kind of conversation where we started this family empowerment program and recognize that we can keep families together if we can empower women in these communities, we don't have to spend hundreds of thousands to build orphanages. We can basically keep these families together. And so for us, that was, it's kind of a two-step process, really a three-step process. The first step is basically, how do we make sure kids have access to education? At the end of the day, uh, uh, no education, all kinds of future issues are taken off the table. It just sets kids up for a really, really terrible future. And so this isn't like, this isn't a mind blowing scenario. Like we all know kids need an education. When we talk about education, we mean a little bit more academic. Um, so it's not just getting a kid in any school available. We really want children to go to the, the best possible schools in their community. And we're willing to spend the money to make sure they have that access. So then, and the most important piece of this puzzle is so we can help moms and dads launch businesses. And so what we realized, and I was in a village that that morning, and I'm talking to um, the lady who was considered the village's best cook. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking to this really beautiful lady and I'm like, well, if you cook really well and people want your food, that's a business. And she's like, I don't, I just cook, you know? And Shiloh and I were like, actually, no, you can start a business. And so it took, it took a thousand US dollars to help this lady start a business that business basically was a food truck outside of her front yard. So a very simple business. And within four months, she went from making $1.50 a day to making about 12 US dollars a day. And so her wealth increased that significantly with that small of an investment. And so that was just a moment where we recognized we can help take families from living on the edge and li- literally living in extreme poverty with a simple, powerful business model we can get them out of extreme poverty where they can kind of control their future. And so that lady went on to start a couple more businesses. She bought her first house and back of her house, she built another house that she rented out. And in that house that she rented out, she saved all of that rental income to send her kids to college on her own dime. It's just a simple, powerful story about what a little spark can do to make a big difference in the world. Wow. I can remember one of the most powerful moments of the trip was something that I didn't actually notice in real time. I ended up putting a post up about it, but mm. we had the opportunity to tour the school that Rod had built. Yeah. And yeah. as we were standing in a circle in the middle of this larger area was eight or nine students with two guidance counselors and a yeah. pr- and the principal. And they were having a conversation about where they saw themselves after school, right? That like casting a vision for their future. And they went around and it was, I'm going to be a computer programmer and I'm going to be, you know, like a dentist. And we just went around. Veterinarian. Come on, veterinarian. That's awesome. Let's go, right? And and, and I was, you know, like I walked out of that and I said, oh man, that was cool. Great. And it wasn't until we were walking to the next thing that we were going to go and, and, and see that Lamar, the person who runs international operations for your organization said, do you realize the significance of what you just watched? And I said, no, wait, what, what, what is it? And he said, you know, 
in a world where you have extreme poverty and you are constantly in survival mode, you are so head down focused on just making it to the next meal that the privilege of being able to look toward the future is not something that has been afforded to you. And, and like the converse of that is, wow, I have only ever lived inside of a context where dreaming about my future was a thing that I could do and have probably taken it for granted way yeah. more than I ought to have. And there, the, the, the thing that you are doing and that you, you, you're doing, but really that Rod, that local leader on the ground is doing with the empowerment program yeah. is changing the way that people are able to train their gaze at what comes next because of creating sustainability yeah. to not have to worry so much about the next meal, the next day, you're now out of survival mode and into growth mode or something that actually looks like a future. I think it's so beautiful. Yeah, that's the power of transformation. Like when a human can't dream about their future, how can that human have hope? How can they be healthy? How can they believe? How can they believe in themselves? How can they believe in their neighbor? Why would they even want to fight for a better world or a better community if they're just literally? And, and, and here's the reality that we deal with all the time. We have a lot of families in our program that have what they call A-B day. And so you they don't tell you this. You kind of got to dig it out of them. And so one family in Haiti, I um, mean, today is just such a dramatic day because the, 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 the Haitian president was assassinated last night. It's been so much chaos. Um, and I just remember the story of being in this village in Duin after the earthquake. I was talking to these young kids and I, through a long conversation, I recognized uh, mama had four kids. And two of her kids would eat one day and the other two wouldn't eat. And then the next day, those two would eat and the other two wouldn't eat. And I'm like, I'm talking to our local partner, John Leakes, and I'm like, they, she, the only way they can afford to keep the kids alive is they eat every other day, one meal. And I'm thinking like, this is, this is wild. And so when we're talking about extreme poverty, going from making a dollar, dollar 25 a day to making six, eight, 12, 16 bucks a day is a significant difference. It removes all of those immediate pressure points and it helps people dream again, to believe again. There's no one that we serve or care for that doesn't want to have a good education, that doesn't want to have opportunity, that's not willing to work so hard to pursue it. But oftentimes they need just a spark because our local community doesn't have that ability because of the issues of extreme poverty. And so that moment are some of my favorite moments, Dave, because you recognize like those are some of the sharpest kids that you will ever meet in any context and they grew up in one of the hardest neighborhoods in the world. And now they're dreaming. And not, they're not even dreaming about it like they're uh, playing soccer. And they're like, I want to be a doctor. And I'm seven. They're like, no, next year I'm starting my first semester of college to become a doctor. Like, they're going to do it. Yeah. One of the things, too, that I, I was struck by, it's, it's, again, things that you take for granted when you have access to clean water all the time or access to affordable <laughs> health care or health care in general. But one of the initiatives that Rod had spearheaded was an, a water purification treatment yeah. facility that was allowing this community of 35,000 people to, for the first time in their lives, have access to clean water. And as much as there may have been some degree of tolerance built up prior to the, the purification and pure water being a part of their lives, he had said that there was 93% of students when tested that had parasites that were just yeah, living yeah. with uh, something that, again, was keeping their gaze off of the future and more stuck yeah. inside of something that was about their, their, their well-being. And that after three months of time, having that purified water that only 3% of the students had any kind of parasite. And it's just like, man, 
the simple, not easy, but simple thing of focusing right. on something like water solved a big health thing, but also became a source of generating revenue, a job creating vehicle. There were just so many rippling effects that ended up coming from it too. And what's awesome about that program is it's self-sustainable, right? Like it took funding to get it off the ground, but they sell water at a much cheaper price than the big companies. And so that whole project is a self-sustaining project. That's not a help on now project. That's literally Rod and his local team created a business model. Um, they got some initial funding to start it. And now that's just running itself. And so one of the things I say all the time, and the reason I wrote a book, and I think you said it so well, Dave, doing good is simple, but it's also significant. It doesn't mean it's easy, but these are just really small stories. Like when we think about the, the kind of the meta narrative of extreme poverty or just all the issues we're facing right now in our world, it can be so overwhelming and we can kind of, we become paralyzed. But actually, when you enter into the community, you see all kinds of progress, you see hope, you see, you see initiative, and you recognize like, wait a minute, I don't have to come and fix this whole community. I can come play a, a small, powerful role that will help these folks take their vision and, and, and help their community thrive and flourish. And I think what it does for us is it depressurizes our life and we recognize we can make a difference in the world without taking on the entire burden of what's, you know, the, the, the struggles that the world is facing, especially those in, you know, living in extreme poverty. So I know you're in eight countries currently, Haiti, Ethiopia, the Dominican Republic, yeah. Zimbabwe, Uganda, Peru, Malawi, and Belize. Look at you. Oh, well, I, I have the help of the internet looking me dead in the You're on the website now. So am I, don't worry. Just guess I uh, get one country. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious because it obviously is something that has grown over time. Are there things that you're looking for specifically when it comes to selecting a place where you want to put down roots and, and join forces with as that silent partner to a local leader? You know, the vision of Help One Now is to empower 100,000 families in the next 10 years. Mm. That means we'll, we'll launch 55,000 small businesses. We'll, we'll help 45,000 students get an academic education. So what we're looking for now, you know, and this is Lamar and our international team, and our Shiloh, who is our local Ethiopian partner, is overseeing all of this. So this is an Ethiopian-led and Ethiopia-inspired vision. And now he's training the rest of our communities and how to kind of implement this in, in each one of our international um, countries. And so the thing that we're looking for leaders who are making things happen at such a high level. And if we enter the story, it's going to like supercharge what they're doing. And so what, you know, what we realize with most of our leaders is they fight so hard for their communities and typically they've never had a faithful, consistent, powerful partnership. And, and just like those kids who have access to clean water or those kids who have access to schooling, it depressurizes their family. When we partner with our local leaders around the world, um, the power of it is it depressurizes their life. They get a chance to focus on the most important work because they know we're going to be there. So we're constantly looking, searching all over the world to build really powerful friendships. We're like, you know what? This is the type of community we want to be a part of. They're going to have joy and happiness when we partner with them. And together, you know, we'll build a better world. And so we talk about together we build, and we really believe that. And so we're always looking. We just have a new partnership in Belize. We weren't, I met, these two couples were so amazing and doing so much great work. And as soon as we came in, like she, we, I was just in Belize two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and she had tears at the table. And she basically just said, we've, we've been doing this work on our own for so long. It feels so good to know that there are others who are willing to help us. 
And yet we still are the local partners who get to kind of make the decisions and call the shots. And so there was the dignity in place, but also the friendship and also the hope that they don't have to do it alone, but together we'll build a better world. One of the things I was struck by this uh, trip to the Dominican was the first trip that you'd taken, that the organization had taken in the better part of a year because of the pandemic. Obviously, yeah. like we had to be very, very careful. Everyone was tested or vaccinated going in. But the, the, the pandemic changed the way that you had access to in-person friendship building support of these local leaders, yeah. which that you could continue to have support of this work and this in, in the way that you did, I think is a testament to the structure that isn't dependent on a Caucasian American human or whatever it might be leading an initiative <laughs> yeah. that when the world decides that access is no longer a thing that's available, it compromises your ability to actually get stuff done. Rod kept running and the money, you know, the donations were still helping support his vision. Um, and it just meant that you couldn't see each other for a little bit of time. But there's something beautiful about that so that you can maintain yeah. continuity, irrespective of what happens in the world. Well, when I when I decided to start an organization that was locally led, people thought I was crazy back in 2008. They're like, this will never work. And so I had a couple um, key people in the industry that said, you should try it, take a risk. If you're willing to fail, it'd be great, but we need to take this advancement. And it wasn't just helping now, there are so many other orgs thinking through the same layers. And the reason we were thinking through that back then was, was this very moment. Like when, 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 a, when a scenario like COVID would hit every single one of our international communities and every single one of our donors all at the same time, we would have never imagined that would happen. And so, you know, when COVID hit, I was actually in Denver next to, I think, a good friend of yours, Pete Vargas. Yeah. And we literally watched the NBA get canceled. And Pete, he and I were having dinner at one of his events. And Pete said, I think the world just changed. And you think about that moment, like, we didn't know what the world was going to be like. And yet a year later, our communities were thriving. Our leaders were thriving. Kids are graduating school, heading on to college. And it's because we never needed to be in the community to help one now donor base was so faithful and so committed. We had to definitely cut back. We had to scale back a lot of progress, but the most essential part of the work we were able to do and it flourished and it was thriving. And so for us, it was a beautiful time to say, you know what, that's why we did what we did. And now we get to see the fruits of kind of that sacrifice and that hope. And every one of our communities are doing so well. And what we miss the most isn't the, the, the work that's being done that's still great. We just miss being around a table laughing and sharing life together. And that's what we got to experience last week in the Dominican. Well, as I was leaving, I mean, we had a couple of these amazing, three amazing nights in a row around these big, like huge rocking chairs. Cigars may have been involved. Like everyone just <laughs> sharing a little bit of their perspective on what they experienced for the day, vision casting a bit with Rod, who is as that local leader, commanding his local team to solve the needs of these communities. And as I was leaving, giving Rod a big hug, like I'm gonna come back and I can't wait to see what has changed, how much of your vision has been fulfilled between now and the next time I return. But I also recognize that any of this work runs somewhat contrary to the instant gratification world that we tend to live in because <laughs> none of it happens yes. fast. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the things I really believe in, and I think our world is struggling with this, Dave. And you know, you kind of being in your background, you probably, you know, like movies don't just happen overnight, right? Like you think about how long it took a movie to get into a theater, 
And like, we just go watch it for two hours. It's great. It's awesome. Like so much work took place to have that theater moment in a movie. And so it's the same with Help One Now with our local partners. We really desire long-term friendship, long-term partnership because, and the blessing of this is we want our donors to be transformed just like the people that we serve around the world. And the way to do that is by seeing the progress, understanding when we give our time, when we give our money, when we ask our friends to get involved, over time, we're, we're building in this into kind of our lifestyle. And then we get to take joy when we see progress. Or today, so many people text me, are our people in Haiti okay? What do I need to do? Like people are donating today already for our people in Haiti. Help One Now didn't have to ask them to donate. They're like, what do we need to do? These are our friends that we care for and we want to stand with them. And I think, but they've, many of these friends have been there from 2010, 2011, 2012. And so I think that's the beauty of the friendship. It's one of our values is when your friends are in trouble, you're going to come to the rescue. It's very different than a seven day mission trip or a building project that our church does with some random person in some random place. Like those things can or cannot, you know, they have pros and cons to them. But at the end of the day, you want to see Rod thrive and flourish and you want to see that community thrive and flourish because now you care for that community because you just spent three days listening and learning and having fun. And that's the other thing. So many folks don't have fun on these trips. We build in all kinds of fun because our leaders want to have fun. And when I say our leaders, they're not our leaders. The leaders we partner with, they want to have fun. We want to have fun. So we're seeing this hard, painful stuff. We're dreaming about big things together, but then we're also laughing and enjoying life. And to me, that's a magical way, you know, for all of our lives to be changed. I did get schooled on a soccer pitch with you, by the way, uh, by the local team who was uh, making fun of the fact that I am not the spry guy that I used to be. I, I remember as we were standing, yes. one of uh, Rod's initiatives was this aquaponic farm. I think that's the way you say it, but it was yeah. this fishery yep. that also had a kale farm. And there was a picture that was shown to me later of this original aquarium-sized box that now has given way to these three huge pools. And I thought as I was leaving, man, yeah. I can't wait to come back and see this farm in six months or a year when it's now doubled in size, the number of people it's employing, the amount of fish that it's producing, the way that it's creating jobs. And uh, and even I think in part, there was a bit of a, uh, a teaching laboratory of sorts for this uh, as an extension for the school yeah. that was happening there. But um, all those things, of course, are going to end up taking time. I, uh, I want to be able to tell people how they can, if they find themselves interested, can get involved. I am. I have a charitable giving fund. I'm going to start this off. I'm going to give $10,000 from the Dave Hollis Giving Fund to help one now. And I am going to match another $10,000 from everyone who, as a listener to this, is willing to jump in and make donations over the course of the next week's worth of time. So the challenge, listeners, is on. Um, but obviously, you're running an organization that depends on donations. If people want to understand more about this work yes. and the way that they can be involved, where do they go? Absolutely. So obviously, you can go to helponenow.org. I'm sure that'll be in the show notes um, spelled out. There are three Big ways to get involved. One, for the next week, we're going to be doing some fundraising for Haiti emergency relief and also some refugee relief that Rod will be doing in the Dominican. We just literally got off the phone before this call, Dave, and all kinds of Haitians are coming over to Rod's side because of the assassination of the president and instability. So that'll be on the front page of Help One Now. The two important things that we do that are long-term is one, we have this thing called the circle. For $25 a month, 
you help one child go to school, they get two meals, they get a meal and a snack, and also a teacher gets paid a significant salary. And so we're creating jobs, we're provi providing meals for these kids, and we're helping ensure these kids go to school. The school you saw in the Dominican, much of that's funded through the circle. It's not a child sponsorship, that's why it's only $25 a month, but it makes a huge impact. And the third one is to help a family launch a business. It takes $1,000 to help a family go through a two-year process. Within 90 days, they'll launch a business and then they get mentorship for the rest of the two years. So we, we don't only launch a business and leave, we launch a business and we walk with them. Marketing, finance, savings, all kinds of scenarios are happening there. All that information is online. You can find that. You can also chat with someone at Help One Now. We'd love to connect with you. You can even DM me and my on my personal social, Chris Marlowe in the Instagram world, that would be the three most significant ways that we can make a difference. And also from a help one now level, like when you donate to us, that money gets to the field typically within one week. And so the impact is almost immediate. I will say, because I've asked this question, like when you look into nonprofits, the amount of money that goes straight through to the community on the ground is a yeah. wildly high percentage relative to most nonprofits. And so, man, kudos <laughs> yeah. to you for a non-centralized, not heavy infrastructured organization. You found a way to really pass it right through to the partners on the ground. Awesome, appreciate it, Dave. We call it the circle of empowerment. Our brilliant leaders around the world, the Help One Now team aboard, and folks like yourself who rally, who give, and it's a circle of empowerment. When we all do our most important piece of the puzzle, then we do, we get to help folks like Rod, in La Vega, thrive and flourish because of how it's all interconnected to one another. And then the other thing is we get to live a better life because at the end of the day, making the world better, it's a part of who we are and what we want to do. And so as there are all kinds of issues in our communities that we need to solve locally, this is also a simple, powerful way that we can be a good neighbor globally and help make the world better. The great news is you can support Help One Now and a local organization. They are not mutually exclusive. I love yes. this organization. And I also love a bunch of other organizations. Help everybody. Yes. Let's go. All right. We end every episode, Chris, by asking our guests the same single question. If you could leave our listeners with a single actionable piece of advice, a good word, something that might afford them just a tiny bit of peace. What is the single thing that you would leave with our listeners today? Yeah, I would just encourage listeners to get out of your comfort zone because believe it or not, that's where you live your best possible life. And so I see so many folks who want to live a great life, but they're not willing to go through those moments of discomfort. But when you can get through the moment of discomfort on the other side of that is where you find the best possible life that you can find. And if you can just hang in there and get through that, you're going to find your purpose, your calling. You're going to figure out that you were created to make a difference in this world and not just to exist. And so get on the other side of, of your discomforts and you will find your calling in life. Oh, that's so good. I am a living testimony <laughs> to this, my friend. I appreciate you, Chris Marlowe. You are a good man doing good work. Help One Now is an amazing organization. As Chris mentioned, we're going to put links to everything in the show notes. So uh, take advantage of this matching offer that's coming from me, your buddy Dave, and let's support Chris and the work that these local leaders on the ground are doing. My friend, thank you so much for spending the afternoon with me. Good luck, uh, not just in the work generally, but specifically in Haiti in the short term with some of the emergency relief work yes. that you're doing. And uh, don't be a stranger. Shout whenever I can be helpful. I love you and the, and the, group, uh, the group at large, all the work that you're doing. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you, brother. And thank you for helping us. And can't wait to like dream together and help help La Vega and make the world better. Sounds good. All right, listeners, if you enjoyed this episode and how could you not, 
take a picture of the <laughs> device that you are watching or listening this uh, to this on. Tag myself and Chris Marlowe. Tag Help One Now. Tell a friend about it. And between now and next week, it's time to get uncomfortable. Per the words of Chris Marlowe, get out of that comfort zone and you will find your purpose. Tap into some passion and do some good. We will see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Thank you, brother. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of the Hollis Company.